Off top. So, 1904 Olympic marathon was wild. So they played in incredibly hot conditions, so hot that half of the competitors didn't even finish. The winner of the competition was then found to have been driven part of the way. USA, USA. And he was knocked out of the competition. The true winner of the competition uh, had, I guess, what could be considered a performance-enhancing cocktail, maybe. But it involved a poison that's used on pesticide called Nine and good old Brandy. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What up, Charlie? Um, what is Brandy? Is that like a bourbon? I don't know. I don't know liquor like that. I drink it, but I don't really know much about it. I think so. it's just a brandy. Oh, it's a brandy? Because like I... Like bourbon is a whiskey, right? Yeah. So what are the different types? It's like whiskey, brandy is its own category, tequila, vodka, like that's all. It's a type of, it's a distilled wine. Wow. Oh, well, welcome, Disney property. I don't know why we're starting this by talking about alcohol, but we are anyway. So Do you think you could run a marathon tomorrow if you had to? This is kind of funny. So my, uh, <laughs> yeah, the right answer is I should have just said no off the bat, but my answer is yes, because you know that I am a, uh, if nothing, a very confident person. If nothing else, I'm a supremely confident person. But you know where I get more confidence from? From uh, my wife's husband, my fa- my wife's husband, that's me, my wife's dad, my father-in-law. So he, I guess it was probably... 15 years or so ago, up and ran a marathon. Took him forever. Feet were bleeding, was sore and hurt. He's an orthopedist, by the way. So I'm sure that he would have advised himself not to do it, but just up and and completed a marathon. So I kind of think, I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you're not timing me, yeah. How many hours do you think it'd take? Yeah, I can stay stay moving for, I don't know, six hours. How long would it take if I'm not running? So I've, I've thought about this a little bit. I think I could run a half marathon tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Zero training. So if I ran the first 13 miles in a little under two hours, I could walk like six miles, run six miles, and make it in like six hours. Your fiance, Carrie, is actually a runner. Like, talking about it. She, like, yeah, she, like, gets up at five in the morning and runs every day because she's a runner. And we're just dismissing. She's training for a marathon, trying to qualify for Boston now and is doing like sprint workouts and getting ready for all that stuff and uh yeah i mean it's driven her nuts before we did a 10 mile race and i didn't train for it whatsoever we finished just a couple <laughs> minutes apart <laughs> why would you say that we got to edit that out i would like your marriage to be happy and healthy uh before it starts you got to set the right tone and the right tone is not no the right tone that. is no easy buckets <laughs> You got a competitive relationship, no easy buckets. Well, the bucket wasn't easy, but she won. Yeah. I, um, the you're pushing me to a weird take, but I mean, you know how I feel about categorizing sports. Like, I'm not somebody who's like do it hard and fast. Like, this is a sport, this is not a sport. But I do believe running kind of falls into one of them categories. You know, I believe that you need an active defense to be a sport. Competitive exercisers? Yeah, it's a competition. Like, a lot of these things that you consider sports, I consider competitions, which I don't think is 
disrespectful. Like it's not, I don't mean any judgment. You can be an incredible competitor and a great competition can take a lot of skill, but something to me about sports requires somebody playing defense against you. If it's you against yourself, sorry, golf, it ain't it. You're not a sport. It's you as a course. Yeah. Well, nope. I need active human defense. How about that? Okay. I, I, golf, sorry. You're an activity. You don't like uh, when there's just uh, like a board of white guys at every country club that decided to tiger-proof courses? That wasn't defense yeah, for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was defense, again, but it's not active defense. I, I mean, not a sport. It's just not. Uh, curling, sport. Got some active defense. People throwing their little stones out there. Some people say it's not a sport. Hold on, hold on. I think it's a sport. Aren't the people brushing, those are their teammates. Yeah, the people brushing are teammates, but you can play defense with your stone. I consider curling a sport, I think. Nope, never mind. Defense not active. Curling, you're out. You're out, curling. Beat it. You're a a summer or a winter Olympic activity. We were careening towards the take that the the, top, curler in the world was a better athlete than Usain Bolt. Yeah, that's a bad take. Bad take. Track and field? Not a sport. Yep. Until somebody trying to tackle you, not a sport. Should we talk that's about all. a real sport? The only sport? Yeah. The gladiator game? The You're con- trying to transition us? Yeah. Don't force me into your box. Don't force me. No, please do force me in your box because I was going nowhere fast. Yeah, we can talk about football. There's a lot of football things I want to talk about. At some point in this episode, I want to unveil my uh, final four teams. Uh, we did pretty good last year with the final four. I got the final two right. Yeah, I think three for most four. Of the final right? four. Yeah, we were three for four. Uh, final four and got the final two right. Uh, and we were right on the Super Bowl winner before the season starts. So that adds a lot of pressure to this. The final four selection in football is kind of weird in part because we all know that football is a hundred percent injuries, but we can't predict who are going to have the injuries, and those have a lot of impact. There's just so many variables. So I think more than anything, the best thing you can do is pick the teams that you think are going to be the four best teams. And with the way that things break down, I guess you could factor in uh, divisional opponents and record and schedule because that matters too. But I think mostly my strategy for uh, picking teams is line play. Like that's where I start. I yeah. feel like that's a lesson that we often always forget because it's not fun to talk about, especially guys like us who talk about this on TV or elsewhere. Nobody, as soon as you sit down and say, all right, O-line, everyone's changing the channel. But O-line to me is one of the best predictors of how successful a team is going to be. And get out of here, you stat nerds who are going to show me the analytics that tell me I'm wrong. But if you're a stat nerds who wants to show me the analytics that tell me I'm right, Get on in here. I appreciate you. At least so we we'll get the case to that for why so- they shouldn't pay running backs. <laughs> no, that's not the case for why they shouldn't play running backs. But they shouldn't pay running backs. I don't. I'm not arguing that. Oh, just running back totally sh- derailed you. Yeah, but that's fine. My argument was never that it's logical to pay running backs. Like I get all the reasons why you don't pay running backs. My argument is that it sucks for them yeah. and it's unfair, which is a whole nother conversation. But. Appreciate you first putting me on the rails and then derailing me. Great co-host. Love it. Nice shirt. I love the colors. Thanks, man. Um, so offensive line play. Final four or the other story? Yeah. yeah we're going, there we go. we're going we're going the other story, and then we'll go back to our final four. So the other story involving offensive line play is Michael Orr. So 
Uh, if you don't know, he's the blind side, the guy who the book was written about, and then the New York Times article that was optioned for the movie that made $309 million on a $29 million budget and got uh, Sandra Bullock an Oscar. I've never seen the movie. The uh, reason why I've never seen the movie is, like, it wasn't marketed to me. I wasn't interested in that movie. And then Michael Orr was drafted by the Ravens, and I was with Michael Orr and a lot, and he didn't like the movie. And so I was like, he don't want me to see it because that was the impetus to see it. It's like, oh, I'm working with this guy and I like him. I should go see the movie. He hated the depiction of him in the movie. And so I had no reason to see it. So now I imagine most people know he is uh, suing the Tui family, who uh, is the the white family that supposedly adopted him and guided him to uh, Ole Miss, where he became a great player and then a first round pick for the Ravens, the movie was widely celebrated at the time, but I think also at the time people like fairly criticized it for like falling into these white savior tropes, but they could kind of fly under the radar for that stuff because they said it was a true story, but it's very dramatized. And I think the reason why Mike didn't like it was because they made him seem like he was like a buffoon. Like he, he came off as like he had a disability, frankly, when you're watching the movie. And that's not the Michael Orr that I experienced. Like from the point of the little boy teaching him the basics of football was part of it. Uh, they taught him how to use a bed was one of the things that they did in the movie. There was other things. And again, I haven't seen the movie, but this is from articles that I've read that also the final scene or the final scenes in the movie like plays on black stereotypes of like over hypersexualized mandingos uh, in the bad neighborhood, kind of sexually threatening Leanne Tui uh, and Michael defending her. So, all that aside, Michael's upset because when he thought that he was signing papers to kind of finalize an adoption uh, for him into the Tui family, he was actually signing over uh, control of his life, a conservatorship, which I think a lot of us know more about now because of Britney Spears, if nothing else. But in doing so, they got to make decisions for him. And one of the decisions that they made, uh, according to Michael, was the way that they split up the deal that they made for the movie. The money that was the proceeds from the movie, they split equally amongst all their kids. And obviously, if that was true, that seems kind of unfair. And like something that Michael Orr, the, the catalyst for all of this, would not be comfortable with and is now... Uh, suing them to, I guess, um, eventually recoup some of that money. So did you have any thoughts on that before I get into what I'm feeling? I'm just stunned that Sandra Bullock did not walk on the field and teach Michael Orr how to pass block. <laughs> the most wild thing out of this is, maybe it's not the most wild thing, but one of the wild things is people calling for Sandra Bullock to give her Oscar. Like, I don't know. I guess we just pile on the famous people and yeah. sometimes the yeah. famous people deserve it. But it's like Sandra Bullock showed up, read a script and acted it in a movie that y'all bought. Like, I feel like there's so many other people to hold accountable, starting with probably Michael Lewis. Yeah. Who was friends with uh, with uh, the Tui father before was it Sean Tui before all of this. And Michael Lewis, who framed the book, which the book is actually more about I mean, they use Michael Orr's story, but they're attempting to like moneyball the football story by talking about left tackles is the book is kind of about like the importance of left tackles in more modern football. But they use Michael Orr's story, which is a compelling one. The one that was told is a compelling one. They use that to set it all up. So 
I guess you could start being upset with them. You could be upset with the people who wrote the movie, the people who optioned the movie, the New York Times. Like, there's lots of people to be upset with before you get to Sandra Bullock. Not that I'm caping for Sandra Bullock. It's fine. She can give her Oscar up. But it just feels like a waste of energy if you want to be mad at someone. So the thing about this that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, not rubbed me the wrong way, that upset me, frankly, is something that happens all the time. And it is the college sports system, honestly. It's exploiting kids or young people and who have special talent and everyone benefits from them disproportionately uh, compared to how much they benefit. And that's what kind of really makes me uncomfortable. And that's what is gross about this. There are lots of allegations that if 100 percent of what Michael Orr is saying is true, then it's, what happened is reprehensible. If none of it is true, I still don't feel great about the fact that Hugh Freeze, who has now done lots of things to, that he should be ashamed of, like rode Michael Orr from being a, a high school coach to like a super rich college coach. Uh, Leanne Tui is writing books and doing a speaking circuits all on the back of Michael Orr's name in this story that does not seem nearly as benevolent as they initially frame it as and the same is true for the sun sj is like working in sports now uh at central florida and sean tui works uh, does broadcast stuff for the grizzlies it just feels a lot like everyone is benefiting off of this and michael orr benefited in no way it doesn't feel like he benefited any more from this than he would have normally because of all people, Ozzie Newsom drafted him. Ozzie Newsom is not drafting him because his stock went up from a movie. Ozzie Newsom drafted him because he could play. And I'm sure there's some benefit to him having been associated with the Tui family, but I don't think that it constitutes their ability to kind of springboard off of this into, I think one of the daughters, or the daughter is an influencer now, which all seems connected to whatever fame she's created or they, that family's created off of Michael Orr. So it all just feels gross, mostly because it's not the system being broken. It's just the system being thrown in our face because the same thing has happened in college sports for a long time and still happens in college sports, just not at this exaggerated a level. So I read the book while like right when it came out and I think I was a senior in high school and i think uh michael Orr at that point was going into his junior year at ole miss and at the time um i remember thinking like one wow this is these are incredible people and not realizing any of the social implications of all of that because so let me stop you right there thank you thank you thank you because it was a wildly popular book in movie. Yeah. And now I can't find nobody who liked either of them, which is like, oh, no, th there were people out here who liked it. So it's not, everyone's on the high horse. They're like, oh, it's so bad, problematic. But a lot of people liked it. I liked it. I thought the first chapter, which was written about the impact of Lawrence Taylor when he broke Joe Theismann's leg about how that transformed the left tackle position and made the edge rusher so valuable. I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was actually like sort of ahead of its time um, with the way that we were talking about football. Um the thing that you look back on now, and this is, uh, I think the Tuies are countersuing or have at least had some started their press war where they're saying this is a shakedown for Michael Orr, who filed his lawsuit on the day that his own book was released. And they're essentially fighting over $15 million that are from movie royalties. Um, the part that I think is most reprehensible about all of this stuff is, to your point, the only agency that an athlete in 2009 had in the college football system was choosing where they got to go to school, which would give them the best shot of playing in the NFL. Essentially, if 
the things that Michael Orr is saying are is saying now are true, and you have unique experience that he has not liked this since the beginning. Because um, the book also talked, it wasn't as um, heavy handed as the movie, but it did talk about that there were essentially learning gaps that he had growing up that were filled in very quickly by being adopted by this affluent family. Um, if all those things are true, though, they basically took away this guy's agency, who was a great athlete at the time that they signed this conservatorship or adoption or however the exact facts come out on this. Um, his agency was gone. He was more or less guided to go to Ole Miss because a former Ole Miss basketball player and cheerleader found this guy who was an undervalued asset by not playing at a fancy school to teach him to be the best left tackle in the United States. And that is effed up because he was the 23rd pick in the draft, but this is someone who was a three-time All-SEC tackle, one of the first tackles to start as a freshman at, at Ole Miss, and probably could have started for pretty much any school in the country. And to take away his decision-making of how can I have the best college career and NFL career possible just because you want it to benefit your alma mater is really, really bad and gross. Yeah. None of us were there for any of this yep. process. And I, I have no reason to believe uh, that he had a problem with the book. I know he didn't like the movie, yeah. but the there is a way to look at this where you see this big athlete kid show up who is not who doesn't have the support that other kids need or deserve. And there's a couple ways to look at it as, oh, let's make sure that this kid has everything he needs so that this special kid's um, uh, opportunity is not squandered. Yeah. But then there's also the other way to look at it like, oh, <laughs> the, look at this really impressive young man who doesn't have any guidance. Let's make sure that we get the most out of it. And uh, it certainly seems like the Tuies are point, pr painting a picture that uh, Hollywood got behind and Michael is painting another picture that it feels like all of us seem primed to believe because it seems more consistent with what we expect. Yeah, I, I, I do want to know, too, to your point, the, the book, which I haven't read in 14 years. So if I got some of yeah. this stuff wrong, it's very possible. But I remember that they, they, the one of the premises of the book was that he was smart and like yeah. just had actual learning gaps because of right. instability in his childhood, um, which is not what was pointed out in the movie whatsoever. All right, it's probably more time than I intended to spend on this, so we can move on. I also watched the Balco documentary, but uh, the untold story about that, which raises other ethical questions around sports, but we don't have to get to that. We can save it for another time after you watched it. I'm going to pitch a, a, an episode in the future where me and Bomani talk about Barry Bonds and his legacy in Balco. Oh, and spend, oh, we can right, spend an hour it. talking Barry Bonds. We'll put that in the, in the reminder list of episodes for the future. Right. Sounds good. All right. So now we can get to the main event. Football. The final four that is almost guaranteed to be 75% correct because it was last year. Start with the easy ones or the easiest one. I think Kansas City back in the final four that's not a revelation of any kind they've been in the final four every year since Patrick Mahomes has been under quarterback the keys to this team is uh they have an offensive line and I, I mentioned this at the top that is one of the foundations when I'm looking for my projections that's one of the places I start is look at the offensive line uh your quarterback no matter how good he is and we're reminded by this uh so often I've told you this a few times there was one Super Bowl that I predicted the upset and was 
made to look really good. It was the Eagles against the Patriots, the Nick Foles Super Bowl. And it was all because I was like, no one has blocked this Eagles defensive line. And I look over and don't think that the um, Patriots are going to be able to block them either. I'm not sure that it exactly panned out the way I wanted to, but I was right. And then I got high on to Patrick Mahomes, as we've talked about before, when they played the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. And I knew Patrick Mahomes' O-line was depleted and the Bucks defense was incredible. And I still was like, you know what? Patrick can do it. And then I was reminded, no matter who the quarterback is, if they can't protect him, it doesn't matter. So O-line is a foundational point of a lot of my analysis. I'd be hard-pressed to find me pick a team with a bad O-line to make it deep. So the Chiefs agree with me because they invest in the O-line more than they have receivers because the big question is where are they going to find some production out of receiver? I know you're excited. Well, not Kadarius Tony, but you're excited about uh, was Justin, Justin um, Ross. Ross from uh, Clemson. Maybe he can turn into something who's great in college. He hasn't done it in NFL. Kelsey's getting up there in age, but still effective guy. But I don't think there are any questions about the offense. We all believe that between Andy Reid uh, and Patrick Mahomes and I guess Matt Nagy is there too, they'll find a way to put up enough points. The question is on the other side of the ball. And those questions were mostly answered towards the end of the year. They had a young defense that played a lot better as the season went on. So we're going to assume that they pick up where they left off and they'll be good enough. And there's one big question about Chris Jones, the best player on their probably second best player on their team, honestly, but definitely the best player on their defense, the defensive tackle. And he goes to the edge on third down. Sometimes they, uh, yeah, their championship aspirations change dramatically. I don't know about dramatically, but they, they shift. I still probably keep him in the final four if he doesn't show up, but there's not much to talk about with the chiefs. You all know why we're picking the chiefs. Do you expect their offense to be better in year two of the rebuild? Yes. I'm calling their their Super Bowl championship last year rebuild. Yeah, no, no, no. You and I were both on that. Like I, I, that was one of the first things I said after they won the Super Bowl was like, this was the rebuild year. This was the year that they're like, all right, we're going to retool. We're going to try to prop this thing back up. And they managed to win. The year before was the year that they should have won. And yeah, so anyway, I, I better know, but good enough. Yeah, I, I guess the real question is how healthy can Kadarius Tony be? Yeah. Because they don't have, that's what they're kind of missing is this ingredient that can take the pressure off of the rest of their offense that can just make stuff happen. Travis Kelsey did it some last year where you can get it to him in open field. And even as he's a tight end and getting up there in age, he still can turn out big plays, which is nice. When you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and defenses that face Patrick Mahomes the way that they do, which is trying to keep everything in front of him, it's nice to have a guy every now and then, the role that uh, that Tyreek Hill used to play. And even McCole Hardman, when he was healthy, could play. Where it's like, all right, we don't have to scheme it up. Just get it to this guy, and he's liable to make it happen. Kadarius Tony could be that guy, and then they could be better than they were. But it's really hard. They were the best offense in football. Well, among the best offenses yeah. in football. I guess it depends on what metric you use, but they're among the best offenses in football last year with only a few games of Kadarius Tony. And they also and started no slower and picked it up. One of the crazy things is the Kelsey Mahomes thing because I Kelsey's almost 34 years old and hasn't missed a game in a decade playing tight end in the NFL. And so it's like, it's crazy. this is an offense that's going to run it until the wheels come off. And I will yeah. believe in that duo until otherwise proven wrong. Yeah, and that's the thing. They, I don't think they are going to run into the wheels fall off. Yeah, I think they they are not like the Bills are the team that's like, uh, let's keep doubling down till the wheels fall off. 
the Chiefs are setting up. Like we mentioned, last year was their rebuild year. They're yeah. setting up to be able to make other moves. The big question mark for them offensively is Donovan Smith. Uh, I guess, I don't know his big question mark, but he's the question mark. They're replacing the tackle with uh, Orlando Brown Jr., who went on to Cincinnati with Donovan Smith, who's had, I guess, an up-and-down career is probably the way to put it, but he's looked good in preseason so far, and I'm sure he'll hold up well in that offensive line. If you were if you were looking at best pass catchers in the NFL, probably is is it fair to say this top five is I'm serious because I think Kelsey's right there with Tyree Kill, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Cooper Cooper Cup. Yeah, I can't agree with you. Why I not? Mean, I I get it. It's it's the cornerback in me. You know how I feel about tight ends, and I understand. I will be first to tell you that Travis Kelsey does not deserve to be put into that tight end category, but I think of guys that can break the game. And Travis Kelsey is capable of turning plays into big plays, but it's just the cornerback in me. It's like Tyreek Hill. It's more like, who am I going to be more lose more sleep over? Yeah. Justin Jefferson, yeah. Tyreek yeah. Hill, yeah. Jamar Trace, yeah. Travis Kelsey has got to be down that list. Maybe he's in Cooper Cup territory, but uh, he's not in the territory with those receivers. I don't. I, I think if you the way that I would look at it is if you give a poll to defensive coordinators, like, all right, just a blank sheet offense over there. Who would you rather game plan against? I'm guessing that most of them would pick Kelsey before they pick any of those top-level receivers. Follow-up. Third down in a playoff game. Is he the top of the list of the guy you'd want to get the ball to to get the first down? I'm not messing with your third downs. I just scored a touchdown on second down with Tyreek Hill. All get right. out of here. All Stop right. twisting the rules team, up team, to team try to get two. on Kelsey. Yeah, get out of here. We're not doing this Kelsey thing. Team number two, the other AFC team, I think, is the Ravens. Uh, they have question marks, obviously, with the transition offensively taught Munkin's offense, but I really like the way that they are, uh, the way they think sound, the modernization of their offense. As you know, a lot is made of Lamar Jackson's passing ability. He's never had a problem staying in the pocket or reading quarterbacks. Like he was good or reading defenses. He was good at that in college. Consistently being accurate, that is where the problem is. Yeah. But I think given more opportunities, I think part of the problem before was like the opportunities were not there. If you are looking at a guy who is not going to hit every single uh, pass on the money every single time, I think it's probably wiser to give him better opportunities. And the thing that I think the way that I characterize the differences in their offense from the earlier Lamar Jackson to what we're going to now is they were very much like a we do what we do kind of offense. We're going to do this. We're not going to try to trick you. We're not going to try to confuse you. We are a run heavy offense that's going to feature the quarterback in that running game. And we are going to reduce the formation, get a fullback on the field, extra tight ends, and you're just going to have to stop us. We're going to get six yards here and there and then maybe break a big one. And it's fine if you know it's coming. What they've done now, they're spreading the offense out, and it seems more modern in that it's you have to pick your poison, where if you have a healthy Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman on the other side, Zay Flowers in the shot and in the slot, and you put Mark Andrews on the field at tight end, and maybe J.K. Dobbins. And again, you know, I like respect offensive lines. They have a good offensive line, uh, one of the better ones in the league. You have all this, assuming Ronnie Stanley can stay healthy and uh, return to his all-pro status at left tackle. Now the question for the defense isn't can you stop us doing our best thing? The question for the defense is where do you want to put the help? Do you need help 
do, are you going to help uh, whoever's covering Odell? Are you going to play softer coverages? Fine. Then we'll do these design quarterback runs where you already are light in the box. We will put the number game even more in our favor by including the running or the quarterback in this game. Okay, fine. You want to stop that? All right. Then you're going to leave one or multiple of these receivers in positions where they are one-on-one or attacking a weak spot in the zone. And so to me, it seems like an obvious upgrade offensively, maybe easier said than done. The big question mark I have for the Ravens is, or the big weakness I have for them is pass rush. I think D-line is almost as important as O-line. They don't have great pass rushers, but they still have a really good defense with a lot of talent, especially uh, in the secondary with uh, Kyle Hamilton, uh, the monster at uh, at safety it's right gigantic. now. And also, yeah, also Marlon Humphrey, the corner. Uh, they got Rocky Sin playing the other corner. And Marlon Humphrey is banged yeah. out. Might, might miss the beginning of the season. Yeah, he might, but he's great. And yeah. uh, who else they have? They had somebody else that I wanted to mention. Oh, Roquan Smith, who came over last year and kind of changed the complexion of the defense. One of the few inside linebackers who I think are legitimate difference makers. But I feel like those are the teams. You got any input on the on the Ravens selection? Are we going to look back after like six weeks and just think that Greg Roman wasn't as dumb as we thought? It's possible. It's like I don't. So he did build that whole offense for Lamar, and it worked for like five years. Yeah, it never failed. I don't think he's dumb. I just think that like you, there's a ceiling on what you can do with that offense, and I think you could have won a championship with that offense. They came for up sure. short. Yeah. Yeah, and they came up short not getting it done, but the offense wasn't that – it wasn't that the offense was bad, but I do think that Lamar Jackson is capable of more. So there's poss- there's possible – it's a possibility that we'll look back on this and be like, hey, why do we fix this thing that wasn't broken? But that's just not how I live. I want to get better all the time. Uh, this is this is the touch-and-go one for me because I, in looking at this activity, the AFC was so much more loaded than the NFC. Like, it's jarring yeah. when you actually look at it on paper, and it's like, you know, the Bengals, Bills, Dolphins, even the Jets um, yeah. all could be in that. And, like, the other thing, the Ravens, the NFC, or the AFC North might just be fucking awesome this year. Oh, my gosh. Like, I think the sleeper team is the... It's not even fair to call them a sleeper. The Cleveland Browns are loaded. Oh, so I thought you were going to say the Steelers because the Steelers are also a oh, sleeper team because Kenny Pickett didn't the... suck to end the year and they go 9-8 every year regardless. Yep. I guess just raw talent. And again, this goes back to my O-line issue, I think, is I really love the Browns' offensive line. And the the weakest point of this team is a player that we've seen play MVP quality football. Like, that's the weak spot. You look around their offensive roster, the defense, strong. They have a shutdown corner. Um, they have possibly the best D lineman in football, or one of. Like, Miles Garrett is in that conversation. They got weapons on the edge. They have what I think may be the best football player and running back, and Nick Chubb. Like, he's awesome. Watching yeah, Nick Chubb play, watching him play, like, I, I underappreciate how impactful he is. Loaded box from shotgun, from the dot. Like, from anywhere, he is effective. And screen pass, like, he's an incredible player. And the weakest thing, their offensive line is pretty good. It's really good, actually. The weakest thing on their team is Deshaun Watson. Like, from last year, you look back at what they did last year, you're like, where's the problem? It's the guy that we gave $200 million guaranteed to because he was so good and we were so sure that he was going to be great. So, like, I think that is going to be the real sleeper team. 
the Kenny Pickett, there's still a ceiling on yeah, that, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the thing is like I, I could see them surprising people, but I can't see them making a run to the Super Bowl. And I can see the Browns doing it. Wow. I was going to say, and like to, to me, one of the, like, it's really hard for me to parse Dolphins, Bengals, Bills, because yeah. all of those offenses are just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard with the Bengals because, like, I mean, can the quarterback stay healthy a little bit? <laughs> like, just get us or, through a training camp. Or this, the Ravens, this for to... that matter, if that's the yeah. case. That's fair. That's fair. This was supposed to be his first healthy training camp. Yeah. He couldn't even do it. It's just Cap it's injuries tough. are scary. And I was, I was a little cold on them because of the losses in the secondary that the Bengals had. But in watching the preseason game, Dax Hill at safety, running four threes, covering both deep routes. Like, if he can do that consistently, it changed everything. I think DJ Turner, both Dax and Turner, both are Michigan guys. DJ Turner is a young corner who I haven't seen play a ton. But when you read about him, it sounds like he's really good in camp. And that's not something that's like a fluke. Corners normally struggle. Like, you come in the league young, it's hard to play this position uh, where the rules are tougher and the athletes are better and the quarterbacks are more precise. They are filling out, it seems like, in a way that suggests that they're going to be around for a while and they might be more competitive this year. Because that was my question. Losing those safeties, I yeah. think, in Cincinnati mattered a lot. Safeties are the modern-day middle linebackers and that they call the defenses, they make the checks, they're in control. And losing both of their really good safeties, I thought was going to be a problem for them. But if Dax Hill can impact the game the way he did, they're going to be good. But they got to stay healthy at quarterback. But, yeah, yeah. it's fair. It's hard for me to, to pick the Ravens and then say the problem with the Bengals is the quarterback can't stay healthy, who's made two deep playoff runs, been to the championship game last year, been to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, that's a bad one. Yeah, cut that out. Edit that out. Don't make me see. Well, that's dumb. also I realized there there is a lot of um, fallibility in my take because the other – it was – Joe Burrow, Tua, and then Josh Allen, who even hurt his elbow last year, and had a steep drop off in performance. So yeah, healthiest quarterback yeah. gets second place in the AFC. Um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a feel thing most of the time. The one that I missed last year was uh, it was the Bills. I think that's what it is. That's why I didn't pick the Bills is because I picked them to be in the Final Four last year, and they came up short. So I'm punishing them. When I was that. looking at that, I was like, I I genuinely wonder if so much of this is because of the Josh Allen elbow injury and the, the whole season felt really weird after DeMar, DeMar, DeMar Hamlin's cardiac yeah. episode on the field. And it's like, to me, they were so close to like the, the Chiefs offense that we loved those yeah. first five weeks of the season that I would be 0% shocked if they were just awesome again this year. Um, and Vaughn Miller got hurt, which really changed the impact of their defense. But when you bring up uh, the early parts of last season, I can't help but be reminded uh, how Josh Allen in the season opener uh, got revenge on Jalen Ramsey. You remember how he did that? Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, this is his groin. This was after we were we were recording debatable. I was so I was so upset. And we were well, we were recording debatable, and Pablo had just cribbed this take, just straight up plagiarized this take from Bill Barnwell that Josh Allen doesn't run that often early in the season. He said it four <laughs> seconds before Josh Allen <laughs> annihilated that man. Yeah, and it wasn't the annihilation of him as much as it was the post-play where he was rubbing his crotch on him. Oh, yeah. Didn't love it. As a cornerback, I mean, I'm a Josh Allen fan. Everything you do is good. I love the trash talk, taunt, spike, all that. But be nice to the cornerbacks, Yeah. Please. But Jalen Ramsey deserved it. Didn't he say, like, Josh who a while ago or something yeah. like that? That was yes. it. He, like, treated Josh Allen like he wasn't anything. All right, let's go over to 
the other conference, or it's pretty easy. I mean, the Eagles, obviously. If we're talking about the best one team, one team conference. Yeah, it's the Eagles. And again, offensive line play. Like, uh, I think they have to replace Sayamalu. Uh, they're doing that with Jurgen, I think. Um, but other than that, they got Mylotta, Lane Johnson, Kelsey at the center. The O-line is still strong. Of course, we all know about the receivers, and they have a quarterback who was, for most of the season, was probably the best quarterback in football, statistically at least, in, in Jordan Hurts, or Jordan Hurts, and Jalen Hurts. And as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, that he is also probably the handsomest quarterback in football. He also had one of the best Super Bowl performances we'd ever seen, with the exception of one play. Otherwise, he would have been Super Bowl MVP and Super Bowl champ. He was incredible, and I have no reason to believe that things are going to change for them. The defense is still loaded, all the pass rushers. And let's not forget, they got Jalen Carter. Huh. They had a historical uh, defensive line last year as far as sack production is concerned. Like, they're up there among the greats of all times as far as uh, pressure and sacks are concerned. Last season, they added one of the best inside defensive linemen, pass rushers in recent history out of the rest of their Georgia players onto that team to go next to Fletcher Cox and Jordan and uh, Reddick and Sweat. So... Yeah, they're going to be good again. Their schedule is harder, but they're still in the NFC. I got them probably. I'm thinking that I don't have to make my Super Bowl picks yet, but uh, it's hard for me to think of somebody that's going to knock them off in the NFC, especially after what they did last year. I had I had no I had no real notes on the Eagles one. I think they have by far and away the best on-paper roster in the NFL. I think Jalen Hurts is going to continue to get better. Jalen Carter, my favorite thing is to overreact to his preseason performance because his are comical. They look fake. Yes. They look like he's playing against high school kids. And these are NFL centers, even if they don't all start yeah. on NFL rosters. Um, yeah. It's they, they, preposterous. It is preposterous. And you can't double everybody. <laughs> so the pressure is going to be there for them going forward. So I, as long as – and they, they're deep too. So I was going to say as long as they stay healthy, but they more than any other team could probably survive a couple of – injuries as long as it's not the quarterback which happened for part of the season last year they survived they it last right. year that's true they he didn't throw the ball for the last four weeks of the year they survived it he didn't play in a couple of those games right? yeah it was one of uh one of those games against the other team that i'm gonna pick is the dallas cowboys i i, I don't know it's hard to look around and find a team that is more talented than them in the nfc other than the eagles and again, the talent goes down to the offensive line. Also, the receiving core is strong. We've seen, let's talk about preseason to get excited about things. Deuce Vaughn, another serious weapon. He's so fun. He's so small and so explosive. Feels like Darren Sproles all over again, who has been a problem for his entire very long career. So I love that. But it's really, I mean, the offensive, I have concerns about the offense. I don't like that we're overreacting to one year of interceptions for for Dak Prescott and you're running Kelly Moore out of town and reshaping the offense more based on timing and on what Mike McCarthy wants to do. Don't love it, but the defense is why you picked this team. They added Stephon Gilmore opposite, opposite Diggs, and obviously they got Micah Parsons and Dexter Lawrence. Like I often think about um, teams by... Uh, 
where their weaknesses are and so how or where the strengths are and where the weaknesses are. So how you're going to have to compensate and which ways are you going to have to compensate for the weaknesses on your defense and on your team or your unit and which positions can handle uh, a more increased load. So in practice, like if your D line's not great, maybe you leave your corners on the island if your corners are good and you add extra pass rushers or you add extra people in the box to stop the run. Okay, got it. But what if your D-line is great and your corners are weak? All right, play a soft zone and put pressure on your front four to get pressure without help. They can do either. (laughs) It's a great place to be in because Diggs and Gilmore uh, are up there for the best corner combos in football. Diggs is not consistently grading out well, but he does something that's better than covering people is he takes the ball a lot, which scares the hell out of defenses and changes the field. And it's not a fluke. A lot of turnovers can be random. This man consistently produces more interceptions than he deserves. So, yeah, I like this team mostly for the defense and because you can trust the quarterback. I don't care what anybody says. Why do you have them over the 49ers? We have Kyle Shanahan who today, today said that Brock Purdy would have to physically melt in practice to not be the starter. Yeah, I have them over because offensive line. The 49ers offensive line was the strength of their team at one point. It's deteriorated to now being one guy who's really good and also really old. And also the pressure on Brock Purdy to rise up. At some point, we all see the quarterback is going to have to make a play. Somebody's going to have to make a great play. And at some point in the playoffs, I'm not so sure that I have confidence that Mr. Irrelevant is going to be able to do that. Maybe it can. They almost won a Super Bowl with uh, with Garoppolo. So it's incredibly possible. I'd compound all that by the turnover on defense. They're now, uh, because they've been so successful, and we like to give all the credit to Kyle Shanahan, but the real constant throughout this serious run that they've had is their defenses have been great. Yeah. They've had loaded defensive line. You know what happens when you have uh, defenses that defenses that are perpetually good, your defensive coordinators get hired away. So yeah. they lost Robert Sala, and then the successor to that, um, Demico Ryan's, uh, yeah, Demico Ryan's was inside the building, so like understood the system, and then he went away there, and then they went outside now to get their current defensive coordinator. Is it um, Raheem? No, not Raheem. Well, I'm thinking, just thinking black coaches. I can do that. You can't. Um, do 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 do. It was a black defensive coordinator that's been around. It's been a head coach before. 49ers D. Steve Wilkes. Coordinator. Steve Wilkes. Yes. So Steve Wilkes is a very good defensive coordinator. So I'm not saying that to suggest that he won't be good, but it is a lot of turnover. And that unit defense tends to be a little less sticky as far as year-to-year production is concerned. So we'll see. I think I wouldn't be shocked if they made it to the Super Bowl, honestly. But if you're asking me to pick a team that I have more faith in right now, it's going to be uh, the Cowboys. Did you see what Kyle Shanahan said they were going to do in the Super Bowl if they had won the game that Josh Johnson and Brock Purdy got hurt? Yes. Assuming Zach Martin is healthy, a Cowboys offensive line is better. And yes, they were going to give Phillip Rivers a call. I am so sad that we didn't get to see Phillip Rivers. In the Super Phillip Bowl. Rivers is so sad that we didn't get to see Phillip Rivers in the Super Bowl. That would have been a great storyline. And I now, Are you Phillip kidding? Rivers, how mad is Phillip Rivers that that um Tom Brady is sitting around waiting for that call now? Yep. He's, you're going to need like three quarterbacks for two teams to get hurt for Phillip Rivers to get that call now. We actually got the Phillip Rivers moment, though. We actually had a third and 12, 90 yards to go, a minute and a half left on the clock. It was built for him for that to happen. 
Yeah. Ah, Philip Rivers. Um, great. Okay. One more question. Does Dak, is he clearly the second Incredible best quarterback in the Incredible trash talker. Philip Rivers really angered me, mostly in college and in NFL. He talked a lot of trash. He doesn't curse, though, right? Yeah, he doesn't curse, but he just talks trash like in a way that quarterbacks normally don't. And it's annoying, but we used to beat him all the time in college and in NFL, I think. Anyway, no one cares. Um, no, you that asked was the great. Question, but I wasn't listening. What was the question you asked? Uh, is Dak the second best quarterback in the NFC? Is he above the tier of um, sort of yeah. Geno Smith and Jared Goff? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you can obviously go off of last year and say, like, he didn't play better than them last year, but I think it takes more than that. Uh, in an honest moment, uh, I like to see Jared Goff continue to play well. I like to see Geno Smith continue to play well, but I think most people in an honest moment would take Dak. Like he's had, despite the fact that they haven't made it uh, to the championship round, he's had good playoff games. Like it's not like he crumbles under pressure. He had a good playoff game last year before he had the embarrassingly bad one against San Francisco. He's had good playoff comeback wins against the Seahawks. He had those, I think three scoring drives in the fourth quarter uh, his rookie year against the Green Bay Packers. Like the big knock against Dak is like he doesn't show up in big games, which I think is probably uh, unfair considering what he's done. He doesn't show up in every big game, but nobody does. So, yeah, I think he's obviously the most accomplished and best quarterback in the NFC after Jalen Hurts. Hmm. Wild conference. That we're discussing Gino, Dak, and Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins. It is ridiculous. It's uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins is the only other person who will be in that conversation. I thought about tossing in Bryce Young. Hmm. I like Bryce Young a lot, and I one of the reasons why I like him is I think they're a well coached team, and I think they have a good offensive line. At least I thought that before I watched Hard Knocks, where they made it quite clear to me that. They did not have one, two, or three people who could block Quinn and Williams at any time in the course of that entire joint practice. Hard Knocks, man. I gave up watching it a long time ago, but they they sucked me back in. I'm hooked on Hard Knocks this season. I watch the first two episodes every single year and then lose steam. Yeah. I normally don't watch any of them because I recognize that I'm a sucker for well-produced content, and I end up like... I watched some last year, became an immediate fan of the Detroit Lions, and then I was disappointed. So I think they made me like Zach Wilson, which I didn't have that coming. They made me like Aaron Rodgers, which like he just loves everybody. Of course, this is highly edited, but all he does is say, I love you and wants to talk to people all the time. I'm like this because a sweet guy wears hats that says cherish the little things. This is a sweet, wholesome football man. The Zach Wilson stuff I find hilarious because he just has to can eat it when Salah's like, our defense rocks and our offense sucked last year. And the camera slowly pans in on Zach Wilson. It's so mean to Zach in the offensive lineman, but uh, whatever. Uh, I, I do appreciate all the, like, for TV purposes, they give those pep talks all the time. And it's like the pregame speech or the beginning of the season speech. And then he gave a speech in episode two, Robert Sala did, about the O-line getting serious about, like, being good or whatever. And... I always laugh because even the greatest pregame speech or motivational talk has never made a tackle. It's never created a block. It's never caught a pass. That shit is fun, but it don't matter. People don't play harder now because you gave them a speech. I don't know. It's just kind of always weird to me. Maybe it's just me um, 
uh, like pooping on the moment. Maybe it's a great moment, but and it doesn't change. Like, if you're going to give a speech, I guess the beginning of training camp is the time to give the speech. You played with because, Ray Lewis. You have more experience on this than anyone. Yeah, lots of Ray Lewis speeches. But I think you win the game and the week lead up. So give me a Monday morning pregame speech. Don't give me a Sunday pregame speech hour before kickoff. It's too late for me to anything, do anything about it. I can't go back and rewatch tape I was supposed to watch. I can't get the reps, extra reps in now. It's too late now. Tell me how important it is on Monday. I don't want to know how important it is on, on Sunday. I don't care if you believe in me on Sunday. I love Too this. late. This Your is... faith in me is not going to make nair tackle. It is not going to cover any of these four, three receivers. Get out my face with this foolishness. This is right. The nerds win the game during the week, finding the holes on tape. Not at all. Practicing. I hate practice. All right. Enough said. Good times. Cut out all the mistakes that we made. JK, thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Metal Lark, for letting me use this studio. Thank you, Podville, for letting Charlie use that studio. Thank you, Christina, Sarah, Adi Khan, Christina, Abbott, Sarah Buswell. I got to include the last names. because You got that backwards. Christina. And nice. What'd I say? Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, Adi Khan. There we go. And Nando's. Shout out, Nando's. <laughs> I guess we're not going to get a Nando sponsorship. <laughs> this is the Dominique Foxworth Show.